Hi, I'm Heather Knight, and this is the Surviving to Thriving podcast. One in four women will experience severe physical violence by an intimate partner in their lifetime. We're going to discuss the taboo topic of domestic violence and the tools our thrivers have used to succeed in life. We want you to know that you are not alone in this fight. Please keep listening if you or anyone you know has been impacted by domestic violence. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to thank our sponsor, night protection services for making this podcast possible and all the support they provide our cause hey guys welcome back to another episode of surviving to thriving today i have with me sarah elkins sarah is a communication coach gallup certified strengths finder coach keynote speaker author and professional musician her podcast and book your stories don't define you how you tell them will help listeners and readers understand that the stories they choose to tell and how they choose to tell them impact their internal messages and the perceptions of the people around them. Sarah loves to work with remote teams and leaders to ensure their relationships are based on knowing and valuing each other's strengths. She knows that the key to satisfaction and happiness in life is healthy relationships, and the keys to healthy relationships are self-reflection and communication. Her ultimate goal is to help bring self-reflection and positive intention to the workforce in her work as a communication and public speaking coach and as a keynote speaker. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you, Heather. It's a pleasure to be here. Definitely. I'm excited to get into our conversation and learn a little bit more about you. And starting with that, we'll start with what was it like growing up and how was home life for you? That's a kind of a weighty question, isn't it? I actually grew up, I moved around a lot. I went to four different elementary schools from Denver for kindergarten, first grade, LA for half of second grade, and then shift schools from um, my neighborhood school into a a downtown school in LA and then moved to Colorado Springs and finished junior high and high school in Colorado Springs. So I was raised in a pretty traditional Jewish household. And I'm trying to think of a story that really demonstrates kind of how I grew up. Middle school was horrible for me, just like it was probably horrible for everyone else. But what was interesting was my father was later diagnosed bipolar. And I was 20 or 21 when my father was finally diagnosed. But I remember this moment, I was 15 or 16 and I was at my friend's house and her parents were still married at the time. And they, they were in the kitchen with us and the mother had left the cabinet door open and the father had stood up and hit his head on it. And I remember tensing up, as I mentioned, my dad was bipolar. So there were things that would really set him off and he would, scream. I mean, he'd get really, really angry with smoke coming out of his ears, kind of angry. And everybody would cower when he'd get like that. And he was never physically abusive, but it was, it was really awful to witness that temper. And I remember when that my friend's father hit his head and I tensed up waiting for a barrage of insults and anger toward the mother. And he just said, ow, that hurt. And I remember her saying, oh, sorry, I I should have closed that. He said, yeah, it's okay. I should have looked where I was going. And she hugged him and kissed him on the head tenderly, (laughs) all this compassion. And I remember like feeling my shoulders drop and go, well, that was weird. (laughs) And it changed everything about how I saw my parents' relationship 
And it changed everything about what I wanted in a relationship. Because at that point, I had decided I would never get married and I would never have kids. And seeing that the behavior in my household of the, the anger wasn't all there was, that there were other options, that relationships didn't have to be like that was really an aha moment for me. So that's kind of it. My father was an incredibly loving and compassionate human being and super generous, totally charming. And we lost him six years ago and I miss him every day. Growing up with somebody with bipolar, especially non-diagnosed bipolar, was a challenge for sure. Yes, I can imagine so. I, you know, I have a sister who is, you know, severe depression, anxiety to the point where, you know, it was, it was hard growing up for sure. So I definitely understand, you know, mental health in the household and having to learn how to navigate, you know, living with that. So you said that this happened in middle school. And that was kind of like that aha moment. So how did that reflect in, you know, high school and, you know, possibly, you know, those potential relationships that you had in high school, how did that completely change that dynamic? Well, it was actually, middle school was when I started seeing it. It was high school that that particular incident happened and sent me home to watch their relationship with more critical eye and more curiosity than resignation, which is a totally different perspective, a totally different mindset. And then I really didn't start dating until, I I went out with a few people in high school, but mostly I really didn't date till college. I was kind of shy and it was strange, but um, it wasn't until college that I started really dating and going out with guys. And, And I remember I decided I was a three date woman because after three dates, I knew whether I was going to want to go out with them again. And most of the time, it was one or two dates, but three dates was the maximum. And then I'd start pushing them away. And I think it's because I didn't want a relationship. I didn't want to end up in the similar situation to my mom, even though they had 10 or 15 wonderful years of marriage. It wasn't until the bipolar and depression started really showing when my dad was in his mid thirties that their relationship shifted before that um, they were, and they were always loving toward each other, very affectionate. And so I didn't grow up with a lack of love in the house. So, but I did grow up with an idea of if that's what marriage is like, I don't want anything to do with it. And it wasn't until I guess when I went to, study abroad in Australia that I met a guy and fell in love. And this was really my first long-term boyfriend. And we, we broke up shortly after I got back to the U S after like we had dated probably about eight months, maybe eight months. That was, that was long for me. <laughs> that was long for most people at that age, but I was 19 and we we had this really healthy relationship. We had fun together. We laughed together. He was super sensitive to me. And I realized that relationships are okay and that I didn't have to be scared of them. I didn't have to hold back. But I also believe that when people go for a traveling thing like that, where you actually have a time limit, where you know you're going home in three months or six months or a year, 
I think it's easier to fall in love because you are giving yourself an out at the very beginning. So as much as at the end, you're like, oh, I don't want to leave. And you try to keep things going and you have this long distance relationship. But um, I think subconsciously, it's just much easier to fall in love when you've already given yourself a time limit and a boundary that you've set. But it was a great awakening for me to what a healthy relationship can look like. And to this day, Nick and I are close friends and he and his wife spent time with me and my husband years later here in Montana, they came to visit. And so we're still very close friends. I'm still close with his family, but that was definitely kind of the, the awareness of, Oh, okay. This, this isn't all horrible. (laughs) Yes. And you know, that was going to be, you know, one of my questions of, I know that you are married now, but having that moment in high school of I'm never getting married, I'm never having children. And then, you know, we know you today and you're married. And so that was your aha moment of, okay, this is, this is okay. This is, Mm -hmm. you know, something that I can potentially handle having. Right. But, you know, I was terrified of commitment and I still have issues with what I thought I was, well, I was referring to being afraid of commitment up until just probably about five years ago. And I just turned 50 this year. And it took me to be 45 before I realized it's not commitment itself that makes me uncomfortable because that's a personal choice. You choose to be committed to somebody or something. And as we've talked before, Heather, in a a previous conversation, I believe that when we make a commitment personally, we get to choose that person every day. And it's, again, choice is a really important aspect in my life. I'm fiercely independent. And what I realized is it's not commitment that freaks me out. It's obligation. And I think of the difference being commitment is a choice that we make and we have to remake every day where obligation is something that's put on us by external forces. And I don't know if it's an Aries thing or if it's a middle child thing or if it's just me, but obligation just makes me bristle. I mean, I think about, you know, when a cat gets upset and their tail goes up like a bristle cone, that's what happens to me when I feel like I'm being obligated by an external force. And I think that's why my husband and I live at least a thousand miles from our nearest family member. But it was after that relationship with Nick in Australia that I still had decided that I wasn't ever going to get married because it hurt too much to break up. But when I met my husband, we had gone out a few times and I knew that this was something I really appreciated. He, He showed me every day how much he cherished me. From the first time I spent the night at his apartment, we lived in Washington, D.C. when I met him. First night I spent in his apartment, he came in to wake me up with a little espresso cup. We have an espresso maker, and that's all we've ever really had in our homes after 25 years together. But he brought me this little espresso in bed. He knew exactly how I took it. And then he left me to wake up slowly, which is something that I treasure. I love my alone time but I had this coffee. And when he went back into his living room, 
he started playing his acoustic guitar. And I woke up to that sound. And we had been dating. We had had one major fight. We had been dating from late April. We had a major fight in late August. My sister had come to live with me that summer. And after I took her to the airport, I got back to him and we had this major argument about stories that I was sharing. And that's a whole, whole different conversation. But after that, we were together, like together, because I figured if our relationship could withstand a fight like that, then maybe it was worth continuing to try and see what happened with it. Well, it was uh, January, Washington, D.C., and we had a huge snowstorm, like a major blizzard. And Marion Barry was our crackhead mayor at the time. And he had decided not to maintain any of the snow plows and snow removal equipment because we don't get snow in Washington, D.C. So it took four days to get out from under this blizzard of snow. My husband and I were stuck in his apartment on Capitol Hill for a week. I mean, there was no going anywhere, really. The metro had shut down. Even the subway had shut down. And we both worked for government agencies, and so we, we were out of work for a week. And then, and that was right after Newt Gingrich had shut down the government because he, they couldn't agree on a budget. So we had basically been stuck in his apartment for a week. And I remember um, having a conversation with my sister who knew my fear of obligation and commitment. And I, I called her to check in and she said, where are you calling from? I said, oh, Bob's. And she said, wait, what? I said, I'm at Bob's. She said, how long have you been there? I said, a week. We've been stuck here because of the blizzard. And she said, and you still like him? <laughs> and we had been dating eight months. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I do. I still like him. Actually, I love him. And I remember looking in the mirror in the bathroom after getting off the phone with her and going, oh my gosh, like this is real. And I was only 25 and I thought I'm too young to be in love. But then I went into where he was hanging out watching TV. We we're getting ready to go to work for the first time the next day. And I snuggled up on him and asked him to marry me. And he said, yes. And it was impulsive and it was crazy, but we've been married 23 years. So, you know, who knows? <laughs> I love it. Something that I pulled out of that, that just kind of made me wonder, and I don't know if it's necessarily what you feel, but maybe, you know, some of the listeners feel this as well, but it's not, like you said, it's not necessarily the commitment, but perhaps the fear that the other person has to commit to you as well, right? You could be fully committed to that person, but there's still that fear that are they going to be a hundred percent committed to me? And, you know, why should I have that commitment to them or, you know, what happens if they don't have that commitment and how do I deal with that? So did you have any fear of that prior to when you asked him to marry you, which I love, you know, breaking the norm of you asking him. I love that. I love that you just asked that question because um, it's such a different perspective from my own. And no, uh, you know, it's funny you say that. I had this aha moment just recently. I, I love that kind of growth and self-reflection. 
when that light bulb just comes on and you go, oh, that's why I do that, or that's where that came from. I used to describe myself as being self-absorbed. And I still, I still do to a certain extent, but it's not a narcissism in self-absorption because my self-absorption is really about me being absorbed with my world, but I don't have any expectation that anyone else would be absorbed with me in my world. So like when people don't wish me happy birthday, my mom doesn't get a card in the mail on time. That doesn't bother me even, it doesn't bother me even a little bit. And like when I, I would be upset if my husband forgot my birthday or if my kids didn't acknowledge it, but they're right in my world, right? They're right here, we're really close. But I'm always pleasantly surprised when someone else comes into my world at the same level that I've felt about theirs. So I'll give you an example. I have this really, really close friend and we sing together. And when we harmonize, it makes the hairs on the back of your neck go up. It's just the most magical sensation. It resonates through your entire body when we hit certain complex harmonies. And it makes people cry. I mean, it's just a phenomenal sound. And I've always, since the first moment we sang together, probably 12 years ago, I felt so extremely connected to her because of that relationship. And I remember when she moved to Missoula, which is about a two hour drive from here. And I sent her a gift in the mail because I saw it and I thought of her. And I wrote her this note about who she is and how wonderful she is. And she called me because she said, I couldn't just respond by a text. I couldn't send you an email. I had to call you. And she's kind of crying a little bit. Neither of us are major criers. We're not particularly sentimental people. But she's kind of crying on the phone. She said, Sarah, this, is, this means so much to me. You have no idea. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm so glad because you mean so much to me. We get off the phone. I don't think anything of it. And a couple years later, I get, for my birthday, I got a Shutterfly photo book in the mail. And she had put together this photo album of all the years that we had been close friends and singing together. And I remember like just being so shocked that she felt toward me the same level of emotion and connection as I felt toward her. So the fact that you pulled that out because that's such a different perspective, it just really caught my attention. That has never been a concern of mine that I would commit to somebody who wouldn't commit back to me. And maybe it's that self-absorption. And again, I keep coming back to like being an Aries or being a middle child and being kind of in my own world, but caring deeply and compassionately for the people around me in my life, even if I meet them for five minutes. So I could see though, because my husband would feel that way. That is the perspective that I think he and most people would take, which is that fear that I'm going to commit the other person isn't going to. So I'm, I'm just puzzling over this. <laughs> I know it's, I'm going to be thinking about this on my next hike. <laughs> just like puzzling over it. That's an awesome, awesome question perspective. Yeah. And I, I definitely think it's, it's, it's got to be a middle child syndrome because I, I feel the same way. I've got, you know, an over compassion for people, but at the same time, it's like, well, okay, if you don't, 
love me. That's okay. I'll still love you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> or oh, maybe I love that. I have, I've got a four-year-old goddaughter that every day is, you're not my best friend. <laughs> I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Oh, so, I'm so glad she says that to you. It means you're setting boundaries. That is exactly I'm telling you, having a four-year-old tell you that is the biggest compliment as a as the adult that is parenting a child. <laughs> yes. And it, it's every day. And I'm like, that's okay. Or or you're not inviting my birthday party because she's she's learning that her birthday's coming up. So all that I'm like, well, if I'm not invited, you're not having one. So good luck. Uh, that's okay. <laughs> oh, but yeah, and but I definitely think that you know there are the the certain people that have that. You don't need to give back to me for me to love you, but I definitely don't think it's the norm. So I definitely wanted to bring that up and ask you how how you thought about that. If you or anyone you know has been victimized by domestic violence, please reach out to us for resources and ways our organization can help you. You can find us on social media at 2thrivingatl, T-O, thriving, A-T-L, or online at 2thriving.org.